0: All right, it's one o'clock, so let's get started. Welcome to the Recovery from Relapse Workshop. My name is Katie. I am a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this meeting. Hi. Hi. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can. And the wisdom to know the difference. Before we get started, we ask that all cell phones and other electronic devices be turned off now. We remind you that this session is being taped. All speakers must sign the release form, which we'll we'll leave up here. Um, To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed, except for the official tape. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. The format for this session is as follows. We will have three speakers who will share for 20 minutes each, followed by three-minute open pitches until the end of the session. And our timekeeper is sitting right here in the front. Um, The topic for this section is Recovery from Relapse, Keep Striking That Vein. The following is a reading from A Plan of Eating, The the pamphlet, A Plan of Eating, page number 9, and Voices of Recovery, page 213. Relapse is not inevitable. I had such a history of relapse that my sponsor said, if nothing changes, nothing changes. That meant drastic change in every area of my life, one day at a time. My life was permeated by bad habits. Breaking bad habits can require lots of prayer and willingness. At first, just driving past the restaurant or grocery store and heading for a safe place took every ounce of willingness I could muster. But every time I do that, it gets easier the next time. Just for today, I can do this. All of the power of the universe is behind every prayer, every attempt to do things a little bit better today than I did yesterday. It really is a new day. I, know now, or excuse, I now know what works and what doesn't. I can, for today, be kind to myself and to my body. I can be my own best friend. Even if I am taking baby steps in the direction of my dreams, I will get there. And our first speaker is Mimi from Elk Grove.
1: I'm Mimi. I'm an abstinent, compulsive overeater. Hi, Mimi. Hi. Today, I'm abstinent just for today. So I'm sitting there going, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. I'm looking out at all of you. I can't do this, I can't do this. And it's a good thing. Uh, So I'm hoping my higher power is going to do it for me. Um, My higher power has done it for me Uh, most of the time when I let my higher power do it. So. And um, I've heard myself on these tapes before. I try not to listen to myself too often because it's so embarrassing. (laughs) But when I start out, my voice is like this because all my, you know, I'm nervous. So enough about that. Uh, One day at a time, I have not had sugar for over 30 years. Mm. However, um, last night when we got to stand up and then sit down after so many years of abstinence, right, you do not know how much I wanted to keep standing until she said 30 years or less. You know, I wanted to stay up there. Uh, But the, the thing is, I have not been abstinent for 30 years. Uh, the definition of abstinence uh, that I'm hearing more now is on my way to a healthy weight. So I don't get to count the times uh, every day that I didn't need sugar. Now, what happened for me was I was I came into the program in about nineteen eighty two in Silicon Valley. And if any of you is here from Silicon Valley, from back then, I hope you'll come say hello. I was absent in Silicon Valley for 17 years. So I had a really strong program, I thought. And uh, I did lots of service those first five or six years. Lots and lots and lots and lots. Uh, I began to feel that after so many years maybe I had graduated. And then what happened was I got the job of my dreams, really literally, uh, and I moved to Switzerland, to Geneva. And, God, it was fantastic. And everything wonderful was happening. There was no meeting there. Uh, There had been an OA meeting, but it had stopped. Now, I could have started one, right? You're never without that option. Uh, but I didn't. And we didn't have online meetings then. That was in the days before all that. Uh, and I began to lose touch with the program. And what I really uh, hadn't done for those 17 years anyway, I, I took the axiom, which you used to hear a lot more then than I hear now, take what you like and leave the rest. <laughs> And I still think that's kind of good to think about, only what it meant to me was, well, I could take the steps that I wanted.
2: <laughs>
1: and you see how well that worked. Um, the step I particularly did not want was step 10. So I kind of bypassed that one. And I, I, you know I managed to get through nine where all the promises come true. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I bypassed 10. I tried it, but all my life I'd been so hard on myself, and I'd had so much therapy by then that I had learned not to be hard on myself. So I I thought that meant I didn't have to evaluate my behavior. So I just really didn't do 10. But I did 11, really good. And, and I did a lot of 12, a lot of 12. So here I am in Switzerland, starting to lose my program, but I didn't really know it. And, and I want to talk about that a little bit in a minute. Uh, it came back to the States, stayed in Massachusetts, not in my home place of California where everybody knew me. I was in Massachusetts. And I still, I was going to OA meetings. Well, I spent 10 years in relapse. Makes me cry now. Um, Nobody has to spend 10 years in relapse. So if there's anything I can happen to say to anybody today that makes a difference for your length of relapse, I pray for that. Um, But I was in it for 10 years. And what I would do was I would come to an OA meeting and I would say, I have seen the light, I'm going to be abstinent. Notice, going to be, in there. Uh, Yeah. So uh, I never put back-to-back abstinence together. uh, Or I never did, let's put it that way, I never did. And uh, after 10 years, I had gained back all my weight and more. And I weighed uh, 250 pounds. And I was uh, watching a football game on television, and they were showing these football players, and they showed this guy who was like 6'8 and weighed 250 pounds. And I thought, I'm 5'2 and I weigh 250 pounds. Ooh, big difference, and I don't have any muscles. So, gosh, I wonder what I look like. Um, that was uh, four years ago so one day at a time uh, I have been abstinent for four years Uh, and uh, and lost uh, 110 pounds and sometimes now it's you know 107 depends on the day uh, and, and I really wish at a convention somebody would say, Everybody stand up and everybody sit down who does not have 30 years in the program and has lost 100 pounds twice. Because <laughs> that way I'd be able to stay stand. <laughs> and everybody could clap and I'd feel really great. Um, um, you warm my heart, thank you. Um, so let me tell you some of the warning signs for me about relapse. The, the first one for me, now, don't take this wrong, but the first one for me was I decided that the underpants I was wearing, I must have washed in hot water.
3: <laughs>
1: and then I started to think, well, maybe it's time to go buy the next size. If you're thinking, go buy the next size of underpants. Think twice. (laughs) Um, Another was and is that, I don't know about you, but I keep moving the goalposts. I gain three or four pounds, and I go, oh, that's okay. I'm still wearing a size whatever. It's okay. I'm not where I used to be. So we'll let that be okay, because by golly, I'm not going to give up more of this food. Mm -mm -mm -mm. And then pretty soon, I've gained 10 pounds. But that's okay, because I'm only wearing one size bigger. And after all, I don't weigh 250 pounds, right? So before you know it, I weigh 250 pounds. So uh, for me, that's a warning sign in relapse, is watch out if you're starting to move those goalposts, okay? The other for me, and um, I talk about this with everybody I ever sponsor now. The other for me is I really started to lose my connection with my higher power. And that happens just as subtly as the underpants getting tighter. Uh, It's one day I really don't feel like sitting down and doing my prayer and meditation. And then that stretches into another day, and then it goes into a week. And then, you know, well, it's okay. I'm going to pray in church, which is a place I never used to go, by the way. <laughs> uh, or I'm going to pray at my OA meeting. After all, we say the seven-step prayer. That's enough for me, you know. So I, I, that is so subtle. So now when I sponsor somebody, I say um, every day. Every day, half an hour prayer and meditation. And for me, uh, I like to do that before breakfast because I I want God to know I consider God more important than breakfast. So that sometimes I don't really feel that way, but um, that's that's what I do. And I I sit there even if. I don't believe that what I'm praying to is listening. Because there are days when I don't believe that what I'm praying to is listening. But if it's not there, I am really lost. So I pray anyway. And then pretty soon, I find out it really is there. When I first came into the program, uh, I... I had not uh, put any thought or attention to God in 20 years. And as far as I was concerned, God was that three-letter word, right? So I began to, I had a sponsor who was just this awful Nazi sponsor. And I used to humor her by reading the big book with her and doing the stuff she said, but not really believing anything she was, you know, but it turned out to work. And one of the things she said was spend your first couple of weeks and months, set aside time every day, think about what your higher power might be for you. So that really worked for me. And, uh, when I lost most of my basic contact with my higher power, uh, in those ten years of relapse, uh, when I started again, I really didn't didn't know what else was there, and and I want to be sure to say this: um, I really thought that after God had granted me seventeen years of abstinence and I had blown it, that God could no longer be there for me. You know, I really did, and I was terrified. To even approach abstinence, because when you thought you're going to do it and you can't, and you pray and blah 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 for ten years and nothing's happening, it's like, oh my God, I can't believe again. I can't believe again. So what happened to me? What abs? Uh, what relapse felt like to me was being living in gray fog, just living in gray fog. The emotional and I guess I don't have to go through all this. I guess a lot of everybody knows, maybe. But the emotional trauma of it, uh, I just was, there were no colors in the world, just none. And physically, I was pre diabetic. I mean, I was 63 when I uh, decided I really wanted recovery. And so I had abused my body for so long, I was pre diabetic on all kinds of blood pressure medication couldn't walk upstairs, blah, 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 blah. And now that I've been in recovery for four years, I can't tell you what a different life I have. I mean, it's like um, night and day. I can walk upstairs. I can play with my grandchildren. I see colors now. My world has colors in it. Uh, I do not wake up in the morning hating myself used to wake up every day struggling with this sense of failure, with this sense of, ugh. Now, what happened for me? You know, it's different for everybody. Um, And I wish I could point to, you know, this one incident made everything turn around for me. Uh, I reached a point where I wanted abstinence, one half of 1% more than I wanted to keep eating. It's like that grain of mustard, you know? It's just that little bit. And all kinds of things kept happening to reinforce the idea of abstinence for me. And I kept ignoring them and ignoring them and ignoring them. And finally, I had a situation... Where I had to explain to somebody why I was not going to give up my food. And I spent twenty-four hours, and I usually share this, I spent twenty-four hours, oh well twelve, sorry, little exaggeration. Twelve hours arguing with a God that wasn't there about why I wasn't gonna give up my extra food. Because I couldn't, I'd be alone, I'd be it'd be awful. And what would I do? And what if God wasn't really there? And what if what if what if what if And uh, finally, um, after arguing for 12 hours, don't ask me how, but I found myself on my knees. And I finally asked God to help me. Um, And those first 24 hours of abstinence were terrifying. And then the first 48 hours of abstinence were terrifying. And then the next day, was pretty frightening. And you know what, it's been four years I've been abstinent. It's just been four years that I've been abstinent. And I thank God for that. For me, the focus is a spiritual part of the program. Uh, And I do, I think it's important to get a food plan, I think it's important to work the steps. Somebody this afternoon who's new to the program said, well, how many times have you worked the steps? And I said, well, steps one through three mm, depends on the day, eight or nine or ten times in a day.
2: <laughs>
1: now, uh, a while ago I was in yoga, and uh, somebody there found out I'd lost a bunch of weight and it asked me how I had lost it. And I said what I say to anybody who asks outside of the program. I say, I pray a lot. And for once, this woman said to me, well, what do you pray? Nobody else had ever said that. So I started to tell her what I prayed. And it brought together, you know, everything from 30 years of OA. And I was saying, well, I pray this and I pray that. She said, well, why don't you write it down and send it to me? So I said, okay. (laughs) Okay. So, I wrote a prayer, and I've been debating whether I'm supposed to read this or not. Maybe I'm not, but I think I'm gonna. So, I'm gonna read this prayer to you, and I. uh, Okay. Uh, So, this is basically a daily prayer, and it just kind of pulls together the various things that I've prayed over the years. Lord, I know I am beautiful in your sight. I know that you love me as if I were the only person in the world. I know that I do not need to lose weight to be given your love. And I know that I do not need to lose weight to be proud of myself or to make someone else proud of me or to gain anyone's love. I also know that you have given me a body that is a temple to be taken care of, In your mercy, forgive me for not taking care of it. Forgive me for damaging myself and for eating in a way that has made me so unhealthy in so many ways. Forgive me for moving farther away from you by seeking to heal myself with food and not with you. What I do not know is how to control my eating. What I do not have is the strength to eat in a healthy way. No matter how many times I lose weight and no matter how how many diets I go on, just when I think I have it all solved, I overeat again, even though I don't want to. I'm tired, Lord. I'm beat. I give up. I can't do this by myself. Help me. So, Lord, I humbly make a decision today to turn this all over to you. Grant me the strength this day to eat in a healthy way so that I can move toward a weight that's healthy for my body. Just for today, just for today, with your help, I can do what I could never do alone and what I could never do if I thought I had to spend my whole life doing it. I will go to any length to abide by your will. When I hear your voice urging me to make a healthy choice, I will rely on your strength to do it, and I commit to doing that just for today. Just for today, when I'm hurting, I seek to find my comfort in you, not in food. Just for today, when I'm lonely, I seek to know you as my friend, not food. Just for today, when I'm worried, I ask you to give me the serenity to accept what I cannot change and the courage to change what I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Just for today, when I feel wounded, I seek healing in you, not in food. Just for today, when I want more, more food, more happiness, more love, more attention, more peace, more things, I ask you to be my more. Just for today, when I feel guilty, I confess to you what is weighing on me. Repent, and I accept your forgiveness with open heart. Just for today. I will list for you all the things I am grateful for. Just for today, I will seek to be a blessing to someone else, as you will. May I fulfill your purpose for me this day. I affirm that you keep your promises, Lord. You continue to carry me all the days of my life. I trust you will indeed help me this day. Amen.
0: Our second speaker is Ella from Oakland.
2: Hi, I'm Ella, compulsive overeater after all these years. Um, Does anyone have a copy of that pamphlet before you take the first compulsive bite? I was going to read something from it, and I left it in my room. Okay, I'll try to remember what I was going to read. I'm going to start out and tell you a little bit about me and my history and program. And then I'm going to hope to share some things that helped me find recovery, even in the midst of years of relapse. And um, some things that worked and maybe some things that didn't. So I've been in program since June 16th, 1982, and I've been abstaining since January of 1996. So when you do the math, uh, you see that there were many, many years in which I was floundering. Now, that didn't mean I never abstained. It just meant that Sooner or later, sometimes sooner, sometimes later, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, I picked up the food. And um, I can't tell you sometimes why I picked it up. And, of course, if I could tell you the secret to putting it down, well, you know, we really wouldn't have to be here if there was a secret that you could just hand out and I'd be really popular. Um, Now, I know that everybody is in here because, well, I'm assuming everybody's in here because you want to stop compulsively overeating. And if I could ask, is there anybody in the room who's never had a day of abstinence? Well, that's great, isn't it? Because I have to understand that if I've had one day, I'm capable of recovering in this program. because one day is all it takes. And I mean, I know that sounds corny and, you know, like a trick. Um, but I had to one of the things I really had to believe was that one day counted that one meal counted that one hour counted because despair and self-flagellation and recrimination was the enemy of recovery because my little lower power voice was always saying well what's the use you know you're going to eat again and i'd have to say well fine okay the use is that now i'm not and if In two hours, I'm, you know, in a bag of M&M's. Well, so be it. And um, somebody told me, because I, um, one of the things that worked was I never left the program. I went to meetings. Probably in all truth, when I was in the food, I was working the program harder sometimes than when I've not been in it, because I was desperate. And, um... What somebody told me was all you have to do is pick yourself up one more time after you fall. So like a baby walking, you don't say you'll never walk again. You fell down. It's kind of, I picked myself up, and this was a thing I was willing to do badly. And I think somebody, most of what I say is not original. Someone else said anything worth doing is worth doing badly. And so I just had to do it Anyway, I couldn't be the best. And, you know, often I thought I was the worst, but I still kept coming back. So um, I got here on my 40th birthday. I had been world-class overeating since I was 12 or 13. And um, I was a garbage-can variety overeater. And... I was very grateful to Overeaters Anonymous because the first meeting I came into, I heard people who ate as I ate and no longer did that. And that was the thing that kept me coming back no matter what because I was enslaved to food. Everything I'd had I'd lost in this world for food. And at that point, I didn't really have a career. I didn't have relationships. I had just getting up every morning and deciding where I was going to binge. And I got to the point where I could not even buy food and wait to eat it at home. So there was like a bag for the car and then, you know, the two bags when I got home. And it no longer the actual experience of eating bore no relation to the experience I fantasized in my mind. In my mind was, I'm going to go there, and I'm going to get this, and isn't that just going to be swell? And when I came home and started eating it, it wasn't swell. It was hell. And um, so I came here because it was no longer working. And I had to say, I know that I had a I could take that first part of step one, I admitted I was powerless over food. It was clear I was powerless over food because I'd been dieting and doing all these things all my life, and, you know, I was 180 pounds. But what it says here in step one, we know that this is the AA. We know that little good can come to any alcoholic who joins AA unless he has first accepted his devastating weakness and all its consequences. So I accepted my devastating weakness, but I didn't understand what were the consequences. And the consequences of step one was that I couldn't keep on picking this thing up. And I was thinking that, you know, it's kind of like when there's a sign on a, Yard, beware of dog. You know, it's pretty likely that if I go in, I might get bitten. But, you know, I don't think, oh, well, you know, dogs really like me, or uh, <laughs> gee, I have this nice treat in my pocket. You know, I usually stay out. But I'd never really had that feeling around food. And um, I mean, that real understanding because I can't tell you how many times I went into the health food store thinking I was there to buy vitamins. And, you know, how many months, how many times did I have to realize I never came out with vitamins? And um, so that was really important. So anyway, when I came in here, I thought, well, I know I'm powerless. I've suffered enough. My God, I've really suffered. You'd think I was done. I was not done. I was to gain 25 more pounds. Um, I'd have people coming up to me at meetings. I remember one of them, Sheila, would grab me and say, when are you going to put down the fork? And, you know, I was thinking utensils. That would, you know, that's really kind of <laughs> that's high-end eating. But um, <laughs> I, I did not stop. And... Um, I couldn't. But what I could do was work the other tools, and I did. And I came to meetings, and sometimes I went to meetings every single day. And I did service at any place that would have me. I read that literature. I made those phone calls. I had a sponsor that I called every single day at a quarter to eight. There were no cell phones. I called her no matter what, and I told her my food because I sure had a food plan, I just didn't have a food practice, and um, but and you know, and every night I called her and told her what I'd actually eaten, which bore no relationship to what I had called in that morning, and I just kept doing it, and I don't know why, how I did that. That I understand was some kind of power beyond me, because I was the kind of person who walked out if I didn't get it immediately. You know, I was the person in college who took all the gut courses so I would have good grades. And um, I don't know. And I think it's because I saw that people had stopped. And I knew that this this was it. This was where it could happen. So I I won't go into how many times I relapsed and recovered and relapsed and recovered and, you know, went to many different lengths at different times, went to a a program in OA that had a stricter food plan, followed that for two and a half years. One day I didn't. And I, I sort of feel like any food plan works. But, you know, it needs to be followed, and some people think it's the food plan that does it, and I just feel it's the willingness to follow it. It doesn't matter. You know, it really doesn't matter what I eat. If I believe I'm allergic to, nine, you know, 95 things and don't eat them, that's fine. I had to define what would work for me. I had to know what foods I didn't couldn't eat. Um, so let me just talk a little bit about the things that helped me. Um, One was if I couldn't maybe I couldn't stop eating but I could stop beating and one of the things that I learned very early on was that it wasn't a moral issue and it was a disease and if I continued to feel shame then I was still thinking it was a moral issue and I know one of the problems with relapse is people say oh I'm ashamed to come back here and I'm gaining weight and, you know, we never talk to each other. You know, we don't go up to each other and say, wow, you know, can I help? Is something going on? I notice that you've put on a lot of weight. You know, you're not supposed to say that because it's shameful. It's not just a description of a physical reality that we can all see. It's like an accusation. Well, it's not an accusation. It's a sign that I'm having a trouble and I, you know, I don't know. But it's not... It's not a shame or blame situation. Um, At least I had to understand that. And I couldn't stop keeping commitments because of the food. If I had a date with you, even if I'd eaten and felt like shit, oh, God, it's being taped. Well, anyway, um, it's not the FCC, but um, anyhow... um, So I still had to show up because it was no longer an excuse. Um, The other thing that was important for me was to say, um, not to come to meetings and say, well, I was abstinent for three years or I haven't eaten white flour or I haven't done this, because for me that was like trying to take some pride in something that had been and not being willing to just own what was actually happening today. And for me, it isn't the substances simply, it's the activity. Because, you know, I was binging on, I could eat a turkey, and someone would say, well, that's abstinent food, and I'd have to say, well, not not quite in that portion. But um, so... I learned about honesty and being willing to be honest about the food. And being honest about it meant, like, okay, this is what I did. You know, it's like um, not this is how horrible I am or I don't really want to tell you. It's um, it's just being honest. Um, the other thing I had to understand was that... And it's this now applies to a lot of things other than food, that a lot of the things I want to do aren't the things I will have wanted to do. In other words, before I eat, I can think, wow, I really want to eat. And after I eat, I can think, oh my God, I wish I had not done that. And I am just the kind of person who doesn't want to do the things that are going to make me feel good. You know, I often don't want to exercise. I don't, want to, uh, what else? You know, I don't want to pray and meditate. Um, I don't want to go to the meeting. I don't want to return the phone call. You know, if it was up to me, what I kind of want to do is stay in bed and read and not program literature either. And, um, so I just have to go away from that kind of what I want and ask, God to help me do the things that I know after I do them I will have wanted to do them. Um, the other because the other thing someone said, this is not a program of never wanting to eat. It's a program of never having to eat. And um, I don't know if I should say this. Um, oh, I will. Um, <laughs> As I'm getting on in years, I attended a little incontinence workshop that my health provider offered, and they had these little words of wisdom: "An urge is not an obligation." <laughs> and um, and they also gave a fact about the bladder, which is that it takes a while for it to fill and that often one might feel an urge before it's actually fill, and that if you keep on obeying that urge, then you train it that it doesn't have to fill. And so then I reflected that this was the opposite of the stomach, um, in which it feels empty when it's obviously full, and that if I keep on feeding it, I feel empty. And, um, you know, there's nothing like overeating to make me want to overeat. And so one of the things I've had to do now in later years exercising less is pay a little more attention to what I eat. And I don't want to do that. You know, I want to think, well, vegetables. They're just vegetables. And salad dressing. Well, it's really part of the salad, you know, and it just goes on and on. And um, I know that, you know, we kind of talk about, you know, making physical recovery. It's sort of like the junior member of the situation. And for me, there really isn't any separation. That how I relate to food is part of my spiritual recovery. Because that's a commitment. That's putting my faith in action. And also because for me, I just feel so horrible I felt so horrible and so hopeless and so demoralized when I was out there binging that I could not be in any kind of relationship with a higher power. I couldn't hardly be in any kind of relationship with anybody because, you know, I just felt so awful. So um, even though without a higher power I can't stay abstinent, I somehow feel that abstinence is, is the foundation still and that it's, a, it's an anchor for me. It's a relief for me. It's not a deprivation. It's the thing that really supports me. And, you know, um, when I'm in a kind of clear and recovered state of mind, nothing can make me eat. And when I'm floundering and in the food, anything can make me eat. So... Um, I guess I had to be willing to accept that even though I might want to, I wouldn't have to. And I also want to just say that keeping coming back and keeping believing that it's possible, as you all said, all of you and all of us have been abstinent for one day in our lives and believing that that's possible and not believing the voice that says it's not. And uh, where's my time? Two minutes. Um, I wanted to close with a little um, passage from the big book um, from a story called He Lived Only to Drink, and this is pages 450 to 451. I realized I had to separate my sobriety from everything else that was going on in my life. No matter what happened or didn't happen, I couldn't drink. In fact, none of these things that I was going through had anything to do with my sobriety. The tides of life flow endlessly for better or worse, both good and bad, and I cannot allow my sobriety to become dependent on these ups and downs of living. Sobriety must have a life of its own. And I believe that I need to be willing to want to abstain more than anything in the world, that I need to seek it, you know, as I would seek, oh, just the most fabulous lover. And I have to seek it whether or not it's in my grasp that day. I had to be willing to want something I wasn't getting because I know one of the things for me was I don't want to disappoint myself one more time. I don't want to fail one more time, so I don't want to try. I want to protect myself from disappointment and discouragement. And I am a person who's very easily disappointed and discouraged, and that's going to continue. Life is full of disappointment. As someone very wise I know and rely on says, life is hard, sweetie. And sometimes it really is. And... For me, overeating does not make it easier. So I just want to offer my experience as someone who, you know, didn't seem to get it and finally has been relieved of the necessity to overeat. And I know that's possible for everybody. And I'm so grateful to be here and be a member of this fellowship. Thank you.
0: Okay, our third speaker is Bart from Oakland.
4: Okay, can you hear me? Is that good? I think I'd speak right into this thing. I have my glasses, so I actually made some notes. Um, my name is Bart, and I am a compulsive overeater. For that, I'm sure. By that, I mean I uh, ate too much too often and... Gained weight, uh, carried a lot of weight. Um, I usually introduce myself, and I, I, I'm from Oakland. We have a wonderful fellowship there, and I usually uh, introduce myself as a, a compulsive eater, uh, because I embrace a little more than just the uh, having suffered from obesity, uh, serious self-image issues, dysmorphia uh, were are a part were a part of my disease. Uh, state, as well as I'm a classic binge-eater, which is sort of its own dynamic, Um, whether or not I'm uh, uh, obese, and um, I've purged a few times, but I've never really gotten addicted to it. So, uh, but I I understand something about that. So. I got a call from, I think, Michelle, inviting me to come up here and speak. They had uh, had a, someone had heard me at a little conference. It's not a little, it's a wonderful 12-step marathon we have in Oakland each September. And uh, someone had written, uh, subtly humorous, (laughs) next to my name. And I thought, oh, that's good. (laughs) That's good. And then she—I forget now, to tell you the truth. She suggested some topic, and I said, "No, no, no." I forget what it was. Maybe abstinence. But um, and then she said, "Well, how, how about relapse?" And I was like, "Oh, heck, yeah!" You know, relapse. I know about that. And uh, it, it wasn't until later that, when I got the little email, that it was recovery from relapse.
0: Yeah.
4: <laughs> and that put a whole different spin on my my proposed talk to you today. I, uh, I don't know. I'm going to talk about my own story for a little bit and uh, what I've learned from my own experience, uh, which is a miracle in and of itself that I could learn from my own experience. <laughs> you know? I, that wasn't like that before I got here. I, I, it was the same thing over and over and over again. And now I am so uh, spiritually developed that um, I'm actually able on occasion, under special circumstances, to hear what you're saying and to try to learn from your experience so that I don't have to uh, go through it myself or that... uh, that my, I can grow in empathy and understanding uh, for the people uh, that I'm engaged with in our program. I, um, I've i been in the program a little over six years. Six years and three months. And uh, the guy that took me to my first meeting is in the room now. So I'm a little embarrassed about that because I'm going to tell the truth anyway. Uh, I had... Uh, I got twelve stepped in a in a casual sort of way. I, I, I knew this guy, knew him well, saw him socially, and I was at a group with him. And I said, uh, "Hey man, you're you're looking good." I said, you, "It's obvious you lost weight, and you're looking kind of buff." I said, "Did you get a new girlfriend or something?" <laughs> you
3: know,
4: and uh, he said, "No, no, Bart." And I was glad, because I knew his wife, too.
5: And,
4: uh, I couldn't figure what would motivate a guy like that, you know? And uh, he looked at me, he just looked at me square in the eyes, and he said, uh, "He said, I, I don't usually tell people this, he said, but I'm a member of Overeaters Anonymous. I joined OA. And I went, oh, wow, well, that's, that's good for you. you know? <laughs> Now, my, my top weight was 263 pounds, about. <laughs> and uh, at that time, I weighed 240 when he was looking at me. Uh, now I'm about 183, I think. I haven't weighed for several hours. <laughs> but, um, so who knows, you know. <laughs> Plus, I have a theory that my underwear can weigh up to three
3: pounds.
4: (laughs) Uh, Another great, you may want to make me your sponsor when I tell you this. Uh, I like to weigh myself with my cat in my arms. So when I put the cat down, (laughs) there goes 11 pounds. (laughs) So I'm still, uh, you might say, sometimes when I introduce myself, I say, my name is Bart, and I'm crazy about food, you know, because uh, you can see how my brain works, right? Um, so anyway, I came in, and my, uh, the guy kept it simple. He became, in my mind, it, it wasn't like a big formal thing, but, you know, he drove me to meetings. He, we we have a 7 a.m. meeting every day at, uh, in Oakland by the Lake Merritt, and I would meet him there uh, within 15 minutes of the start of the meeting. And uh, then we'd go for a walk around Lake Merritt. He helped me walk off about 30 pounds, you know, in the first few months of a uh, program. And I'll, I'll always be grateful for that. And uh, uh, so I was never really confused about the purpose of the program for me. I came in because I was obese, right? I suffered from that disease. And the name of the game was to recover from that, meaning to become less obese, okay? That was why I was here. So keeping the main thing the main thing has always been important for me. Uh, Also with... uh, I sponsor people who, uh, who purged or had purged in the past, and, um, you know, keeping the main thing the main thing becomes important. Maybe they'll develop that as we go along here. But um, I've had uh, two uh, rather spectacular relapses in our program in the last six years, uh, the last one being a little over two years ago. When Michelle called me, uh, you know, I, I was so quick to say, "Oh yeah, I'll, I'll talk about relapse." She says, "Well, you got to have two years <laughs> of abstinence," and I said, "Well, I do, I do." So relax. But, uh, <laughs> I think I created the impression that I binged the night before. You know, it's so like, what have I done? <laughs> but um, I, I. Um, the, the, I, I, I distinguish two kinds of relapses. The first one I'll call the erosive kind. And that's what I did. I, I'd been in program a couple of years. I'd lost 70, 75, 80 pounds. Uh, was feeling pretty good. I'd gone back to uh, do some graduate work and got a credential uh, in teaching. And I, I gave that a whirl. and uh found it extremely stressful, uh, was in a tough spot, long commute. Uh, my plan of eating became more and more difficult to uh, maintain. I was working so hard that uh, going to meetings seemed to be uh, burdensome. You know, I couldn't get them in so well. I uh, felt intimidated and uh, unhappy most of the time and stressed out. And that took about uh, six months from going to a fairly, you know, healthy, regular kind of eating happy abstinence to uh, walking around the school lunchroom. This was a high school. If you ever want to Quite a sight to see what they're feeding kids, you know, in these institutions. I was like, oh my God. But because my life became, I lost step one, you see, my life started getting more and more unmanageable. So I'd be there, I wouldn't have lunch. And so I'd end up compromising, you know, saying, well, I'll have this but not that, or this part of that thing, and one thing and another. And phone calls, connections with other members started fading away and then I was, one night, I was driving home from uh, this long commute that I had where uh, at 9 o'clock at night, uh, feeling like, damn, i got to do this again tomorrow morning, and uh, I had a a Whopper burger in my hand because I hadn't eaten since lunch. It was now 9 p.m., so what the hell am I going to do? So I pulled through the drive-through, got myself a Whopper, and I was driving home eating this thing. And when I remembered, I'm a compulsive overeater, and there's no way in the world this is okay. You know, I am in relapse. You know, so um, that established a certain fact for me. Uh, it didn't prompt me to move toward recovery. Uh, I ate like that for another five months or so, and off and on. And various horror stories associated with that what did it for me uh, was I was back to where I was before uh, (laughs) home alone watching TV I gained I don't know really 35 pounds maybe something like that back didn't like looking at myself in the mirror Uh, had my binge routines set up again I was in relapse you know the damned, I don't care if we're being taped or not, the damnedest thing happened. I got a phone call uh, from this woman who I didn't really know. And uh, she she just said, I remember because I'd been, I'd been particularly morose at that moment. I was kind of like disgusted with myself and my life. And I got this call, and she said, You know, Bart, we haven't seen you at meetings. You know, we're just wondering if there's something we can do, you know, to get you back to the meetings. You know, we enjoyed your company, and you're a member of our group. I'd love to to see you. And I didn't feel like I was a member of anything. You know, I had disqualified myself uh, from membership. And uh, I I said, look, I'm not even sure who you are. And she, and, and she said, well, you know, I'm not real sure who you are either. She said, but I got the service
3: position.
4: It's something like 12-step within or something, and that's why I'm calling. And it turned out we, we talked a little more, and we were able to figure out exactly who we were, right? <laughs> And uh, that was enough. That, you know, she said, well, then I will see you Sunday at 6. And I went, okay. <laughs> and I went back. <laughs> and, and that began my recovery. The second time I relapsed, a little over two years ago, uh, was a difference. well, it was kind of the same story. But there was no, there was nothing erosive about it. It was avalanche time. <laughs> it was uh, not slowly falling into the sea, but plunging. I, I have a friend uh, who said at group level, I'll quote her, I won't identify her, she, said, she used to go to um, Safeway on a, on a Friday, or, yeah, Friday, and order a layer cake, you know, she's in program trying to recover, you know, and it would say, Get well soon, Susan. And that, that wasn't her, I'm not going to use her real name, but, you know, and then she'd pick the cake up uh uh friday Friday night and uh hope I mean, that she would that that would be the last time she would do it, you know and i I mean in a way that's that's a funny story, but that's what I mean by an avalanche relapse and Jennifer and I say, well you know whatever whatever happened, you didn't end up face first in a layer cake, you know. And uh, the second time I relapsed, I ended up face first in a layer cake. I didn't care. Similar set of circumstances where I had uh, gotten myself painted into a corner uh, at work. I was telling my friends about it on the ride up here today. Uh, Stressed out, people pleasing to the max, trying to manage stuff I couldn't manage, and became uh, frustrated and disgusted and ate and ate with a vengeance, uh, with a sense of mission and purpose, you know, (laughs) to just stop those feelings and um, uh, I didn't care if I did die, you know, I was kind of hoping I would, you know, and um, I got a call, another call, but by now I was a lot better connected in the program. One of the things I realized was that it's a personal thing, you know, ultimately. These things don't just happen. Uh, it's because we care about each other, support each other, and do some work to make it happen. Uh, so this gal called me and she said, "Look, I know where you live. I'm going to come get you." You know? <laughs> like, what the hell do you think you're doing? You know, you're isolated. You're alone. I, I know you're binging. I know you. I know you are. You know? <laughs> So I'm, you know, I, I'm going to come by. We're going to Wednesday night. She said, "You better just open the door and come." You know, because I'll, I'll kick it down. I know how to get it in your building. <laughs> so that I was twelve stepped again. <laughs> <laughs> now I tell you what I know about, uh, um, about relapse. You know, there's another kind of. Uh, I'll talk for five minutes. So what? So what can I learn from this? Um, the people I sponsor and have sponsored, I like to ask certain particular questions, like, uh, is there something physically wrong? You know, H- has your thyroid gone wacky, or is there some change in your metabolism, or? Uh, 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 perhaps your anxiety level needs some medication, you know, or something. What, what's happening here? Can we, can we look at any of that to find out, uh, you know, what can I learn from the relapse? Um, oftentimes, I was at the yoga studio not too long ago, and the, I, I told the guy I'd lost a lot of weight, and he said, well, that's great. How'd you, how'd you do it? And I said, well, I finally had to face some family of origin issues and stop eating so emotionally. And he just sort of looked at me like yeah. <laughs> I think I was supposed to say jogging, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so that's another important question is what's what's bugging me, man? You know, what what unresolved issues are trauma from the past is setting me up for this relapse, okay? Uh, the other one is that is kind of simple am I in an unbearable situation you know am I in over my head somewhere is this too much for me whether it's a, a romantic or interpersonal relationship or an employment relationship is this something I just can't handle do I need to have the courage to change you know rather than struggling and struggling and struggling to accept maybe I'm getting a message that something needs to change uh, the other one, and the most important one, I think my relapses ultimately drove me back to steps six and seven, which are uh, my character, uh, character defects, we call them. Uh, we don't have issues. We have character defects and, uh, <laughs> here in the 12-step world. <laughs> so what, what character defects are revealed? By my, by my relapse that I can, I can ask God's help on. Uh, a lot of times, I learn this from people I sponsor, there's uh, perfectionism, control, and people-pleasing, and then uh, other symptoms of codependent personality disorder kind of get woven in there, and uh, that's why they eat. Uh, an unwillingness that I'm just not willing someone told me early right on sooner or later you put down the food you know so uh, am I willing to do that the um, um, I wanted to talk about the perfectionism thing because the best advice I got one of some of the best advice was okay Bart you're 70 pounds overweight you know uh, my sponsor told me, go home make a list of your binge foods. And I did, and I came back with 8 or 10, 12 things, the usual suspects, you know. And he said, great. He said, stop eating those, and you're abstinent. And it was, I didn't know any better. It was just that simple, you know. It was hard, but it was simple. And they told me, draw your circle big enough to stand in, you know. Don't, don't be so restrictive that you're not going to be successful. So if I'm 70 pounds overweight doesn't really matter if I've had two extra grapes, you know? That's the perfectionism thing, you know? So it's like, that's crazy. I told you I was crazy about food. I understand it. So let's move toward a healthy weight, right, is why I came here, okay? Not to be perfect, not to to suddenly, miraculously gain control over my food. I can't do that. I'm powerless over that. The other thing, I, I, I'm going to propose what I call the tenth tool, which is how can I get closer to my higher power through this experience of relapse? How can I come into a fuller, more loving, more embracing, more exciting, more dynamic uh, relationship with, with the God of my understanding? Um, and sometimes that comes down to what I call the tenth tool, which I actually stole from a friend, but it's called begging. You know, am I willing? (laughs) And I'm willing to actually beg my higher power to to help me. You know, get this monkey off my back. And there's a lot of healing in that. Okay, thank you so much for listening to it. I hope you had fun. Thank you so much to all our
0: speakers. Uh, the meeting is now open for three-minute positive pitches. Um, we have time for a couple of them because we'll share till 2.12, and it's 2.05. Um, if you come up to speak, please sign the speaker release form behind me. We ask you to limit your share to three minutes and confine your share to the, your experience, strength, and hope on the topic discussed today. This session ends at 2.15. Okay, so come on up.
5: Uh, i 'm Phil Compulsive of a reader yeah. also expert in relapse uh, first of all, I want to say Mimi Ella Bart fantastic huh? yeah. How about that? Yeah. very nice, very nice i 'm glad you talked about recovery from also uh let 's see chronic relapser um, two things I want to say other than what I just said is uh Let's see, the first thing we say in a meeting is, well, God is the first thing, but after that we say, grant me the serenity, serenity being happiness, to accept accept what's going on. So if I want to be happy, which I do want to be happy, that's kind of what my latest thing is trying to be happy, acceptance is the key. Conversely, to flip that around when I'm unhappy it's because I don't accept things and that's where the problem lies the second thing I want to say is I want to be short so I don't know all you people want to come up with, is I've been in program a little while always 52 years old and I was at the 25th uh, birthday which was in Disneyland and I am not a Disneyland guy but well, Roseanne was there, our founder, and a uh, big fan of Roseanne and owe her a big debt, as we all do. But, anyways, I saw her, and she was actually kind of off to the side, so I went up to her. And uh, the book had, uh, Lifeline Sampler had just come out, and so um, I asked her to sign it for me, and she goes, Yeah, sure. What's your name? And I said, Phil. And she wrote, uh, Dear Phil, above all else, please keep coming back. Love Roseanne. And that's the last thing we say in a meeting. Please keep coming. We say keep coming back. It works. And now my latest thing is, if I can just get that, if I can just get that, keep coming back. It works. Keep coming back. That's simple, you know. And uh, that's going to help me, and has helped me to prevent relapse and recover from relapse. So thanks again, you guys.
6: I'm Jasmine. Jasmine. Hi, I'm recovering from compulsive overeating. Um, I really want to pitch for the fellowship and um fellowshipping like outside of meetings and stuff like that. um that's been really important for my relapse and like when I've had a relapse um it's just really connecting with um <clears throat> other members because um, sometimes you know at the meeting you're just kind of there and it's like it's 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 kind of (laughs) formal and it's like sometimes you don't always get to talk but just kind of getting if it's one-on-one or if it's a few people like oh man I get so much support and love um from all of you and I'm so thankful for that and yeah it's just it's so hard because um, this, like, this disease will isolate the crap out of us, and I know, like, that's me. Like, I will be in the room, just me. And so, yeah, any call I get, anyone trying to just reach out in any kind of way to me is just, like, that's my higher power of, like, look, come on, stop doing that, and um, just really helping me out. So thank you all so much for being here. It's my first conference. I'm very excited, and I'm happy. And, you know, I know I can do it because – you are all living proof of that. So thank you. one
3: more. I'm Elaine. I'm a compulsive operator. Hi, It was so great to hear all of you. And um, a couple good things about relapse. Um, I I did relapse early in recovery. And um, it taught me that I never, ever, ever want to go back to that. Um, It was hell being in the food and in program. And I never stopped coming to meetings. I'm very grateful for that. Um, And I hit... uh, the highest weight. I got to the highest weight that I had ever been at before in program. But people let me keep coming. They didn't just let me keep coming. They loved me. They wanted me there. I had a sponsor who I'd call, and she wanted me to call her every day. And I would say, I binged yesterday. And she would just, you know, it was a brief call. It wasn't like we hashed out my whole life um, strategy going forward or anything like that. I would just, you know, keep calling, don't give up. I'd I'd say, you know, what's the use? And I'd feel that, you know, what's the use? And she would just pump me up and say, you know, you're worth it. It's worth it. Keep trying. And um, another good thing about Ella's relapse, (laughs) well, Ella's time in and out of program has um, been very meaningful to me because, Um, Ashley you started coming before 1982 I think and um, we we came in pretty much at the same time and Ella went out and I stayed and when she came back I had lost significant weight after relapse and she said wow um, this is impressive and that was really an affirmation for me like oh okay I can help people just by um, hanging in and working the steps to the best of my ability and going through hard times of um, not eating. So thank you, Ella. Um, what else do I want to say about relapse? Um, the thing about this disease is it's a disease that tells us we don't have a disease, and it's a disease that tells me, you'll, you'll this, eat this, you'll feel better. Um, And I believe it. So um, to me, that's the... It's not so much um, how terrible the disease is, how cunning, baffling, and powerful. It's that I actually believe it. And I believe it over and over and over again. Tomorrow I'm going to start my diet. Better eat all this now because tomorrow I'm not going to get it. And I'm going to feel deprived, so I have to eat it all now. All that kind of ridiculous untrue thinking that I believe so thank you. Um, This is the first time I've gotten up and said anything at the conference and um, I encourage everyone to, to try to stand up in front of the group and say something to connect with our fellows really part of recovery. Thank you.
0: Okay, that's all the time we have for sharing. It is now time to close the session. Let's thank our speakers and all who have done service at this session. If you enjoyed this workshop, we encourage you to stop by the tape table and um, and to order copies of this session or any other sessions. All workshops and main speaker events are being recorded and are available on CD or as an electronic download. Please join hands as we close with the third step prayer, and you'll find that on page eight of your program.
3: God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and do with me as thou wilt.
0: Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do thy will.
2: Take away my difficulties,
0: that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Keep coming back.